can you tell me your full name and the year you were born? My name is Carol Williams and I was born in 1962. And where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a small place called Woodford. Um, I suppose the only way it's known is, is in Essex and it's, it is a stop, a main stop on the Central Line station into London. Um, but apart from that, it's a small, it's a relatively small um, place, I guess. Not a village, but a relatively small town. And what's your work or professional background? Oh, that's a, that's a complex question. Okay, so um, I will, um, I'll start by saying um, a, the, the kind of area I grew up in would be, um, comparable to the um, social, economic um, deprived areas that you would have in Scotland. Um, so the school I went to, um, nobody went to university, probably out of my whole year, which was quite a lot of, of young people. There was probably only about five or six people that went on to university that I can even think about. Um, so my first job happened completely by accident. I, I was a kind of average student who got what, what every, we were all told to, to aim for, um, four to five O-levels, which would be the qualifying um, areas to get into something like insurance or a bank or something like that. So that's what we were all encouraged to do if you were a kind of middle of the road student. Um, so my first job happened by accident. Um, I went up to London with a friend who was applying for a job but I just went up so we had the day in London walking around and um, while she was having her interview I was sitting in reception and someone came and just I thought was just having a conversation with me and they offered me a job um, as their receptionist so I started off as a receptionist in an insurance company in Fleet Street and pretty much stayed in that area I had a little bit of time out where I went to work for um, Pontins Holidays as a blue coat um, and I worked for um, Chartered Surveyors. I worked for Dr. Bernardo's in their human resources department. So various different um, kind of office admin type things. And um, then in 1994, one of the companies I've been working with for a while um, gave me the opportunity to go on secondment to Luxembourg um, to work in an international office. Uh, so I worked over there for eight years and then made the decision at the age of 40 to um, go to study. Uh, and I'd always been involved in amateur theatre for that whole time. So I knew I didn't want to be an actor. I didn't, I, I, I wasn't looking to be an, an actor. Actually, I was involved in musical theatre. I wasn't looking to pursue it as a performer, but I wanted to explore drama in general. And I was directing quite a lot of amateur theatre as well. So I was involved in a lot of projects, particularly in Luxembourg with the expat community. So um, after kind of a, a year of research, I applied to a couple of places and I was lucky enough to get a place at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, which was the RSAMD Royal, I can't remember what it is. Anyway, I can't remember what it used to be, what it used to stand for. That's that's mad, isn't it? Um, so, um, yeah, so I, I studied uh, contemporary theatre practice, which is now called contemporary performance practice. And I knew 
I wanted to do something with uh, mental health was was one part of what I was interested in. I went into the course with that interest about finding out more how the arts and drama functioned within that, working in communities like the community I'd grown up in, um, understanding how that might work. So I was really looking at applied drama. I didn't want to be a drama teacher in a school, but I wanted to learn how to work in that kind of area. But at the same time, I explored some really interesting performance genres within the contemporary theatre practice course that I never knew existed. That was really exciting. Um, so in my fourth year, when we could choose our own projects, that was where I think I, I, everything really came together. I did a project with Momentum Scotland, working with people with brain injury, um, looking at how drama might work alongside their vocational skills training. And I think because my when I was in Luxembourg, my actual job was I was um, head of learning and development for an international bank. So um, I, there was a quite a correlation between training and skills development for me, even if that's life skills or job skills, but really looking at how drama and the create the creative side of drama might intersect with that. Um, so I did a one term. I did my project with Momentum Scotland. Then I did a project in um, Fryton Hall Young Offenders Unit, um, which was, you know, an amazing experience. Again, working with a, a community in an area that politically I was interested in. Um, and also did a performance project where I devised a piece of um, performance that was put on at the tramway. So um, that's where kind of things started. And um, I won't go, jump ahead, but just to say, so when I came out, Positive Mental Attitudes was one of the first people I approached um, looking for opportunities to work in the area that I was interested in. Okay, so you've mentioned Momentum and yeah. the Young Effect. What year was it that you were involved with Momentum and what you were so doing? That would have been, uh, I can tell you, two, two, three, four. that would have been 2005, 2006. I think it would have been the end of two, I graduated 2006, it would have been the end of 2005 um, and probably did my um, presentation in December 2005 with, with people who had worked on the project with me. And can you say a bit more about what you were, the activities you were doing? With yeah, the so, um, what, so the, the quid pro quo for them was I, I kind of, um, um, went through all of their training materials and I um, was an additional trainer for them about you know all the, the practical things about how the brain works and stuff like that and, and areas that can be affected by brain injury and the possible impacts and stuff like that and they had they had practical life skills about um, how to how to manage day-to-day -day life um, so there was lots of kind of stuff about um, using signage at home and things like this so so I kind of um, did this but I worked completely creatively with people so we did stuff um, just just general drama that I would do anywhere else we did some writing we did some performing um, we did um, some uh, games we did a lot of stuff looking at how but in a very soft way I mean I don't want to sound like they were my guinea pigs I was very transparent with them about the fact that I was also putting something together um, uh, so stuff around confidence, about about identity, drama, you know, to really look at who who I am today. And also the important thing for me was that everybody came out achieving things at a time when they were really struggling, that there was a real, it, it was 
mostly in my mind was about people having successes, little successes all the way through. And some people who were more interested, that was one person who was really interested in writing. So I spent additional one-to-one -one time with him and we did research together and um, he did some pieces of writing. I think probably the most exciting thing for me was when I did the project, um, I had said right from the beginning that one of the outputs was I, I needed to do a presentation at the end. And um, if, if the participants were up for it, I wanted them to be a part of my presentation. And then quite late on, Momentum became very nervous about that. And then they said that they didn't want that to happen. So, because we'd been transparent with the group, I had to say to them, unfortunately, momentum feel like this, but I can still get your voice into my presentation. But the group just totally rebelled. <laughs> so we had to find a compromise. And um, what um, they agreed was um, that anyone in the group that wanted to come, uh, I just did a, a conversation with them as part of my presentation. Um, but it was amazing to me, I suppose, seeing some of the ones that had really um, gone on this big journey, that they became quite performative in the presentation. Like I would be having a conversation with them, which was just us. And I, I, I explained to the, the people, who, including people who were um, assessing me, but other people that had come to the presentation. Um, I kind of said, you know, um, I said to everybody, there won't be an opportunity to ask questions um, from the group, um, but we're going to have a conversation which which you can observe. And so, but they became quite performative, and I found them actually talking to the rather than talking to me, talking to the rest of the people in the room. And inevitably, some kind of dialogue started to happen, and I had to really carefully facilitate that. So, um, it was it was fascinating to see. Um, and actually, I'd read some um, research about um, a woman. It's called uh, the book she's written is called Stages of Age, and she had been working with people who had dementia. And there was a similar thing that happens. There's something that happens about performance and and um, audience and and things. And she had done this project um, uh, that was being filmed. Um, and there was at the heart of this project there was going to be no through line so every single session stood on its own so nobody had to try and remember what happened the last time they didn't need to remember her or the filmmaker and um what happened was they said uh, the the institution she was working with in asked if people could come in and observe the work and she said um that she felt a little bit uncomfortable with that so um she would only allow up to three people or something each time and it had to be very relaxed and whatever and something had gone wrong one time and and for some reason it ended up there was like maybe about 10 people turned up and so she said well look you're, you're all here so let's just see how it goes and she said something completely changed in the room and everybody became more alert and actually started performing um, in a way that they had never done in any other session. Um, which was interesting because I experienced the same thing with my group. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here. Um, it's just such one, one of my kind of really lovely memories. Um, yeah. And also I was really proud of the project because it was self-instigated. I went out and found somebody that I thought was doing some interesting work. I approached them. I scoped out the project and took it back to my tutors and said, this is what I want to do. Um, I was the only person who was working outside the building in that in that term, 
But I think because I was a mature student, I had a very different approach to my education than 17 or 18 year olds who have become great friends. And I feel very fortunate that I've got this whole cross generational group of friends. But I, I was very clear, you know, that these are the things I want to get out of my education. This is, these are the experiences I want to have. And um, yeah, almost in a way, forcing my tutors to come down the route with me that they weren't even familiar with. Um, but it was a great, it was a great project. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I did. Yeah, as it sounds like you could see the impact on the individuals that you worked with. You absolutely could. And I learned a lot because I also learned that thing. Um, I instigated this thing where we had a mood board so people could come in and they had stickers and they could put on where they felt at the beginning of the session and where they felt at the end of the session. It was completely open door. People could leave at any point. Um, and it was a good learning thing for me. And in some ways, I think it prepared me well for working in the area of mental health in that you can have all the plans in the world, but it really depends on how people feel on any given day, at any given moment, and depending on what their mental health is, um, that, you know, if they do have an, a kind of enduring mental health um, illness, uh, understanding that someone can feel great, and then, you know, 20 minutes into your session, um, the, the bottom's fallen out, and, and so it's, I think momentum helped prepare me for the work and, and helped me decide if I wanted to work in that because if you're very, very fixed on outcomes and um, you know, you're going to produce this piece of work and it's gonna be like this, I think that it's not the area for you because you've got to be completely focused on, although you're pushing people creatively because you have to do that, um, you're completely focused on what's happening in any given moment it's a very different way and some and you'll have little rushes of great um creativity and, and and producing something that's really exciting and then you could have weeks where you come out thinking well apart from sitting around drinking a lot of tea and having biscuits how much did we actually do in terms of drama so I think the organizations you work with as well have also got to have that same ethos mm-hmm. but if you're working for people who who are very fixed on, right, you've got six week projects, we want you to do this, it's gonna be this quality, we want it to be going out to these people and doing this. And that's just, in my experience, that's just not the journey you can go on with, with people who in the area of, of mental health. Um, yeah, I think it's, you've got to have a very different approach and you've got to be able to seize the moment and, and realize, right, we're gonna get a lot done this week. This is like, let's, let's, let's get it all done. And then sit back a bit on the weeks where you just, it's not gonna happen. So the pace is very different when yeah. you're working in. Yeah, you've got to be very responsive. And I think momentum really prepared me for that. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a, a, a great group of people. I learned so much about, um, about acquired disability. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people who had, who had, a, who had a, um, a desire to go back to where, what, how they had been before, their perception of how they'd been before. And actually, for for most of them, that would never happen um, because of their brain injury. So um, it's yeah, it, it was. I learned a lot, um, but I think also we just had a great experience together. It was it was like a lot of things very vivid in my mind. And occasionally, I see some people. One person in particular who had 
who had a range of disabilities. Um, and he ended up working at Momentum. And I've seen him sometimes on the bus and we'll always say hello to each other, even all these years later. Um, but in, in the time he was with me as well, I, I just, I think, because he had a lot of speech um, impediment due to his um, brain injury. It was, it was, it was, you know, a devastating injury. I think they were, they didn't think he would survive. So it was physical, um, but he was sharp as a tack. Um, just actually communicating and getting that out. And he was one of the ones at the presentation that was, he was almost like an activist. He was just, you know, totally expressing his opinions and, and how important creativity and art is and the effect it had had on him and what he wanted to do with his life and stuff. Um, yeah, but so you do get those, but, but again, you can't go into it um, thinking or, you know, I'm going to have this massive impact on somebody's life because then it's all about you. I mean, I know yeah. we need things. I did my postgrads. Um, I looked at um, theories about why we why we do things about because um, uh, I was looking at coaching and mentoring and thinking. I wrote about why does anybody want to do these kind of jobs? Um, and so we all need that. We need kind of um, recognition, I guess. We need we need achievement. But again, if if you go in and it's all about your ego, again, I don't think that's I think this is the work for you but I'm just giving my opinion obviously and you mentioned that it was really important to you from the outset to be involved in mental health and yeah. you had an int a pre-existing interest in it it yeah. sounds like and yeah. what just to give a context what was the what would you say was your perceived um the attitudes of towards mental health at that time when you were getting involved in general. I, think, I think there was still a lot of stigma. I mean, I, I think in the time I was with um, PMA um, and the, the, and working on the with the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival, um, I saw a huge leap forward. And I think when I look at today, um, so we're talking about probably fifteen years, fourteen or fifteen years. I, I, I'm not saying that people don't feel that stigma, but I think it's far more acceptable now. It's far more talked about. I mean, look at look what's happened during lockdown. Mental health and well-being has been front and centre um, in terms of discussion and, and understanding about the impact of this. I work with young people who, um, in another context, and they, we, we have, we are firmly um, talking about it all the time. A lot of the activities we've been running have been less about learning skills and more about mental health and well-being. And so I do see that actually the change at that time, I think there was still a huge stigma. And certainly my group at, um, at Positive Mental Attitudes felt that. And so whenever we were doing any kind of performance work or involved in any advocacy type work, they were very clear that their aim was to get people talking and to reduce stigma. So they definitely felt it, they'd been stigmatized. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think, and I think a lot of us were very ignorant about it. I think, although I was interested, I went on a steep learning curve um, and then mental health affected me in terms of people who are close to me. And I started to get uh, an actual firsthand understanding of certain um, mental health conditions. Um, and I think that also fed into my work. Um, so I think it's interesting that I, 
when I look back to that I always knew I wanted to work in this area but I didn't know that much about it I don't know why I was attracted to it maybe again politically with a small p I've experienced transformation in myself with being creative and seeing it in other people and uh, this probably sounds so trivial but as a as a director um, when I was directing musicals um, the thing for me was I would always be looking for people in the cast who were less confident people who who wanted to um, push themselves and they were the people that I probably spent more time on as a director than the real kind of seasoned people who you knew could really cope and do really well um, so maybe there's always been some kind of sensitivity in my in my self with a a small, a small p political about everyone having a chance and every, and about creativity should be should be for everybody. Um, mm. yeah. Was that a common approach? To your approach that you mentioned of being aware and alive to people who might have mental health difficulties and be acting or involved in the arts. Uh, I think I realised it. I don't think I knew it before I started. I think it. I think it became. It became more of an understanding that people get attracted to that. I think part of that is um, it, it can be perceived, particularly if you want to be an actor, it, it can feel quite cutthroat. I don't think most individuals I've met, whether they're actors or performers of any description, are individually like that. But inevitably, when you've got like you know three percent of the um trained population um in steady work inevitably it's competitive but actually i found sort of most people that i've met are very sensitive to each other are very people are attracted to it because there's an acceptance in drama um in in music certainly um yeah, I feel I feel that people are attracted to to the arts in some ways because because they feel that because they feel other, mm -hmm. they feel different. They feel they're struggling to find someone. All of a sudden, they come into this environment where people are going, "Yeah, come in. We want you to come in. <laughs> we're not um, we're not just. It's not just that you're allowed. We want you." And I think I realised that the more, the longer from my through through my training um, and right the way through, I realised that. Um, yeah. And jumping back there, what role would you say the arts has in the impacting on the public attitudes of mental health? I think it potentially has one of the biggest um, roles in doing that. Um, I, I do feel that, um, I'll probably go on a tangent again here, um, it's like it is part of a bigger agenda though. Um, I think there's two things. So there's participation, um, which, you know, for people to be involved in a choir or learning a musical instrument or some kind of drama activities, um, painting, sculpting, whatever it is, whatever kind of creativity, there is that which is huge. There's also then representation, um, which, is, which is another thing. So we see more storylines of people, um, I think, in in whether it be films or television or plays. Um, but I think, I think it's a challenge um, because representation runs across all kinds of things where 
you know, we're gradually seeing um, actors in mainstream who have got cerebral palsy, um, actors who are deaf, um, um, actors of colour who the, they're not just there to because it's a very specific um, storyline that seems to be linked to that. They're just a person living their life within the story, the same as everybody else. Um, and, you know, when you consider all the representation that needs to happen, I think um, people struggling with mental health, um, that that also has increased and needs to, needs to be there. Um, but, but I suppose it's a bit less visible than, as I say, someone of colour, someone who's transgender, someone who's got a um, a, a, a very visible disability rather than mental health, which is obviously which is usually called the hidden disability. So I think it's I think those are the two areas, and I do see that things have moved along. Yeah, and just to track in some of your involvement, because you mentioned PME, when was it that you got involved in positive mental attitudes and? So that would have been two thousand six. So I graduated in. Sort of June, I think it was, and I'd been doing some volunteer work at a young people's theatre company in Royston, so working in quite deprived areas. I'd done that all through my studies, and I had found positive mental attitudes, and I just approached them and said, um, you're the kind of organisation that I would like to, to work with, and coincidentally, their the person who'd been doing the drama had just left or oh, I can't remember or, or, I can't remember exactly what it was Ruth would probably remember and it was just a bit of serendipity really I contacted them at the right time and um, I think what worked really well was um, I when I had my first discussions with Ruth and I think this is why our working relationship worked so well for a, a kind of long period of time is is that I, um, there wasn't really a model for me to pick up and I didn't see myself going in and trotting in and just doing my kind of two hours each week and this kind of thing. I really wanted to sit down and talk to her about what were the aims of the group? Um, how did she, what, what they had before, what had worked for them? What, how did she see it developing? Um, and I think so straight away, she knew I was the sort of person that, um, as I say, wasn't just looking for a little bit of freelance work. I was really looking to kind of see how, what I could bring to the table and um, and and what what the what the purpose of of it was. I suppose that was that was the main thing, and that continued all the way through. So when we were when we were part of the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival, when we were working out of um, the platform in Easter House and. Uh, and, and all the way through, we were con continually looking for where do we take this next? How do we continue to develop it? Um, so Is there I, a, sorry. Sorry, is there a standout moment from your involvement with PME? There absolutely is. There absolutely is a standout moment for me. Um, and I, get, I don't think it would be the same for uh, everybody, but for, for me, we created a piece um, that we called Charlie's Day. And um, it was kind of, we used a piece of Charlie Chaplin music. So it was a piece of, almost like a silent movie. And we created very big props. Um, and it went from the moment Charlie got up at the beginning of the day and how he kind of struggled. And it was like a repetitive piece. So we went through three, um, three 
rounds of this getting through the day. So we went from Charlie having a little bit of struggle to having a lot of struggle and the reaction of people around him um, to um, getting involved in, in, in something and him being welcomed into the group. And there was a lot of kind of representation and it was a great piece of music. The group devised it together. We had such a, a lovely time doing it. And then we took it to the SEC. There was a nurses conference and, and actually the reason why we did it as a piece of silent, almost silent movie was because there's no way in this, a huge auditorium like that, we could have actually done some kind of um, spoken performance. Uh, and I'm, I'm just so proud of that piece. And then we performed it in a couple of different places because um, I could see the work of the group in it. I loved the format of it. Um, and we just all went on this beautiful journey together. And I think it, a lot of people came up to us afterwards and said it was such a clear representation of, of how somebody, all those points at which somebody would struggle during the day and the lack of understanding from people around them, some being in group of feeling very isolated. Um, and it's just, it's just a piece of work that I'm just really proud of. That it, it, you know, when you just see something, you just think that's just sort of hit all the points that I was hoping we'd be able to say. Um, yeah, so that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of in terms of um, performance. And how did you go about getting people involved in that? Uh, so. I, I was going to say there's two challenges. Um, one is is this. Um, so I didn't actually go and recruit people. Um, so PMA, um, obviously working with other organisations, looking at people to be referred and things like this. And um, that was probably the biggest challenge. And then if you're already working with a group of, uh, you know, probably about six people um, on a regular basis, and then knowing that there'll be days that people won't be able to come and then you could be down to three to three or four people in a session for drama it's quite hard working with such small groups of people um so that was probably one of the biggest challenges so we had a core group i would say of about six and then people would come for a little while and you know then fade away again um and then the other thing was it's very hard to please everybody, particularly in drama. Um, so for instance, there was one person there and he had done a lot of acting in his life and he wanted us to do scripts and he wanted us perhaps to do a musical. But, but the thing about working with scripts is it would have totally excluded a lot of people in the group. So he didn't, he, he stayed all the time, but he, he wasn't so happy with um, devising, you know, um, and, what I'll kind of search him, but but it, as long as we've got our story, the, the, the thing about this is if it comes to performance that people don't have to stick rigidly to a script and wait for the, their prompts so everybody knows what they're doing. Um, so I think sometimes people's perception of what performance is and what drama is um, it makes it difficult. I would say if I could go back, mm -hmm. I might now, knowing what I know now, I might actually have incorporated a little bit more script work um, just to see how people took to it. Maybe I was a little bit too cautious. Um, but it was early days for me as well in my practice. So um, it was it was great. I mean, Ru Ruth was very happy with um, 
with what we produce. So I don't think, I don't know if she would have the same idea about it, but yeah, if, if I was to go back, I think I, I might have done a little bit of script work with them and seen how that went. And was it people with lived experience that were involved? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and again, different, um, different degrees of, of um, mental health. Um, some people, some people not, not so hugely affected but other people with quite um, chronic mental health conditions. Yeah. And you mentioned the response to the performance then, and you toured with it as well. Yeah. Like, and what was it the, the um, response that you were anticipating? Did you go in with a particular um, uh, I, goal? I, I guess I'd hoped. What, what I hoped would happen would be that people would be able to clearly see what the, the message, and I, I hesitate to say that because I find sometimes if you start with, with a message, it, it, it can become so worthy performances, especially you see this a lot with young people. Are we going to do something about young people and drugs? And then it becomes really cliched and quite uncomfortable to watch. I wanted people to enjoy it and be entertained um, but at the same time to, to be able to see clearly what the group wanted to communicate with it. So those were the kind of discussions that I wanted people to have. And, and they were the sort, of, the sort of, that was the sort of feedback we got. And um, I think the sense of achievement that the group got from it. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's quite, and this is the other thing I suppose where I avoided script work because there's a lot of ownership of it when it's it's your ideas and you see them manifested in something and um but I think you know as as an artist trying to marry the kind of contemporary practices and ideas around theatre and that it doesn't have to be a linear story um with traditional characters and things like this um you are a little bit you're a little bit conflicted in your in your practice in terms of how much you want to you want to produce that kind of work and something that's a bit more cutting edge and a bit but also to come back to what I said at the beginning it can't be so much about you and your ego it's got to be about the group um, and and how that sort of goes so um yeah so there is a there is some conflict in it and it's not about it's not about quality it's not about wanting to do this amazing um, production with you know lots of applause and everybody going oh wasn't that amazing it's more about form and wanting to be a little bit more challenging with form um I'm just trying to think actually because we did we did some other we did another piece which was um and I'm trying to remember what it was called um and it was a piece of forum theatre. So do you do you know about forum theatre? Okay. So um, forum theatre, it's usually done, it can be done by community groups. So it's usually, quite often it's done by professional actors. Um, and it's where you create a piece of theatre where there is a, um, there's an oppression in it. And so a character is being oppressed either by other people or by situation or by political structures or whatever that is and you play the piece of theatre and then you ask the audience 
what they got from it, what what they saw from it. And then you work, then you you replay it and the audience can stop the action at any time and give the character who's being oppressed some advice on how to change their behavior in order to get a better outcome. What you can't do is you can't actually change anybody else in the in in the scenarios. So you can't because uh, on the on the understanding that if we are to make if we are to be treated better and make changes, it's only we can only um, we can only change ourselves. We can't, and we hope by what we do it will transform somebody else or or something else. So that's a, that's a very basic carpet. And we did a piece of forum theatre, and the group were amazing um, that we created this piece. And and again, we brought in that as a bit of synergy. Um, we did this in platform, and then a group came from from the, the Young People's Theatre Company that I was talking about in Royston. And then they stayed afterwards and we had a Q&A between the two groups. They talked about Forum Theatre and how the group had found it. And um, it has to be carefully facilitated by a joker. So I'm, I, I was the joker. So I mediated the suggestions that people would make from the audience to the actors. So I could be very clear on, um, we'll take it back to this point. So you're the thing you're going to change at this point is you're going to be trying to get them to to do this for you rather than rather than that um yeah so we, that was another high point actually um i've gone completely off on a tangent now haven't i no no um I'd, it's it's all relevant to the kind of the the points that were included on the and the project that we're doing that <laughs> is that something that you were able to rehearse with yeah. the participants I think that's the challenge because you rehearse it and you talk about the kind of scenarios so you can rehearse it and say right imagine the audience um someone in the audience suggests this let's try and rerun it but you have to have actors who feel very confident in improvising and you have to have actors Actors, which is why it's usually professional actors and it's the audience would be people who perhaps are struggling with mental health so their participation would be very empowering but they wouldn't have the pressure um, of trying to then perform for a completely different pathway um, and the again everybody in the company has to um, really understand how it works because if you are the oppressor and you are um, all of a sudden your actor changes their behavior you've got to respond to that change of behavior truthfully so you can't just um, make it all then or okay and say oh yes okay you're absolutely right I'll stop oppressing you um, equally you can't stick doggedly to what you've done in, re in, in rehearsal in the original scenario because your job is to respond to what that actor gives you so you also need a certain kind of actor so not all not all professional actors are good at this um, because they've got to be able to improvise and be really on it. In fact, with, with positive mental attitudes, um, towards the end of my time with positive mental attitudes, we did a piece of forum theatre with professional actors, um, and it was a partnership with 784, um, the theatre company, they're no longer existing, but they were very well known in Scotland. Um, and we created a piece of forum theatre about suicide, and it was suicide awareness project that we took around to people like the police um a couple of organizations working with with people um who might be at risk of suicide um community groups 
uh, and and we had to choose very carefully the the, the professional actors we used we just had two um, that they were able to do this form of theatre so for for the PMA actors to take this on and do such a good job was was actually a, a huge task and they they did it really well um, I did a lot more you wouldn't do quite as much leading as, as I did with the group just because um, they needed really clear instruction but they really enjoyed doing it um, and again I think the I think the format it took, we, we did a couple of short sketches with things like job interviews, or they were quite practical things. Somewhere where someone with a mental health condition was being oppressed by a system or a situation who um, there was no understanding of the issues they were facing. Um, and really, I mean, those are, see that form of theatre, if you want to really get audience understanding something is such a powerful way of doing it. It was originally designed in Brazil, um, sorry, uh, just to say it was originally designed as a, more of a political act. So it was for people who didn't have a voice politically. Um, it's been used in India a lot with women who don't have much of a voice, touring this around where you get a, a female perspective of life. Um, and if you've got an all male audience who are forced to then try to help the protagonist, um, then somewhere in their, in their minds, they go, oh, this isn't right. That isn't right that that person should be facing that kind of stigma, that kind of oppression. Um, so, of course, in the area of mental health, it's it, and if you want to have that awareness raising performance, it's it's a great vehicle, but you have to be quite skilled to do it. But that was another high point, actually, with the PMA group. And what year was that? And do you remember? I think it must have been somewhere around 2008, 2009, because it isn't something I would have approached with them when I first met them. And so if I started 2006, I think I would have been with them for a couple of years before we would have tried to do that. And you mentioned going into different community groups and even the police. That was with the professional actors. That was that was the piece of work we did towards the end of the time I was there. Um, so that was um, so so it was PMA, but I wasn't working with the um, with with the amateur theatre, not amateur theatre, with the community um, participants. Um, but it was another arm of, of um, PMA's work, I think, in terms of tackling stigma, but also that was very much in the area of almost like um, training, I feel. Um, but it was all linked to the same thing. It was, it, was, it was responding to the high incidence of suicide, particularly amongst young men in, in North and East Glasgow. Um, so it had all come from research and from, from other kind of work that PMA were doing. So it was, it was another interesting arm of the work that I did with them. And where was the funding coming from for? So I think Ruth, Ruth managed to um, access some funding. Um, Ruth Donnelly from PMA. Um, then there was, um, It's, I'm trying to think. Now, I had a recent conversation about this because I, I, I recently had a meeting, online meeting with a counsellor looking at possible involvement with the young people we work with. And in our conversations, she used to be at the Royston Stress Centre. And then she was also involved in another organisation 
and and she knew Ruth through them and we talked about the project you know one of those weird things where you come across someone and realized you actually probably met 10 years ago um there was definitely definitely an organization who were working in this area of mental health and um and suicide but I can't remember who it was. And they were the people that came to all the sessions and were available afterwards to talk to anybody. You know, like very often you need to have these organizations. It's, it's really good practice. And um, that you can say to the audience, anyone that's been affected, we have, these are the people who are gonna be around for the next hour or whatever, and they can talk to you individually. Um, and they were at all of our sessions. And um, what kind of community would you say exist in mental health in the arts in, in what way because you mentioned collaborating with a counsellor and you'd known each other from a different project is it quite a thriving community or how would you go about my, describing my experience is it was then um i still see now because i've uh because i'm i'm constantly looking for um tools and organizations that I can signpost to the young people we work with. Uh, I see, see that there's still quite a lot. They, I've just seen something came into my inbox this week of a new, new um, organization called COPE. Um, and I, I do see, coming back to our earlier thinking around um, stigma and the understanding around mental health, that there are more and more organizations, support organizations out there, um, particularly third sector. How, how well the, um, this, the kind of um, uh, networks are between arts organisations and those those organisations. I, I don't know what it's like currently because I'm not working in that area. Interestingly, the counsellor that I talked to, the reason why I was kind of um, interested to talk to her is Scottish Youth Theatre are building this into all their activities now that they have um, counselling running alongside because because of the types of, of young people they're working with the communities they're going into um, and they have seen um, a huge rise at the first project they put that into they had 100% retention which is really rare for young people um, so we, we're talking about it we're talking about possibly doing a piece of research about about arts and young people and the role of, of mental health and mental health support through pro arts projects um but how how the networks are these days i i'm not really in a position to say um how how it's linking still to um yeah because I, I i i feel like this is um interesting with the mental health arts and film festival and i think all of this is valid um that they do a lot of work where they they have had professional filmmakers professional um uh, theatre makers, performance makers, dancers, creating work about mental health, using their own lived experience or working with community groups. I don't, I think the challenges from a performance perspective is, is how you, maybe it doesn't matter, as long as you're authentically getting the voice of the people with lived experience somehow within your performance, does it matter if they're physically doing it? Um, that's a whole other question and I suppose with me I, I wasn't ever interested in me performing their work it was always about about them performing whatever performance means yeah that's really interesting that you and 
that you've had that experience and that you've seen the impact as well yeah um, but I do realize the challenge of it I mean one of the groups that do this really well is theatre Nemo um who you know although they do they're doing less theatre these days um I mean they're very active still on online but a lot more music and visual arts and stuff like that um and again it's a it, the musicians are people with lived experience the artwork is created by people with lived experience um so it's very much they're not getting professional actors in to represent those people the, the people the artists it's that idea that we're all artists and and how do you get the work seen but as i say it's very problematic i think with theater in a way that it isn't somehow with music if you're in a community choir if you're in that, that they have a big guitar section in theater nemo you know it's huge huge thing for them teaching people guitars building guitars um uh, it's, it's an amazing piece of work they do um, so of course they're all going to play their guitars and perform but there's something about theatre that is quite threatening and it is seen as you need to be very skillful um, uh, that is that can be difficult can be a kind of tricky area to work in which is I suppose so often why a lot of people are involved in the development of the work but don't perform it and as I say, the time I was at PMA, it wasn't that at all. We never handed our work over to actors or performers to perform for us. We created something that we were comfortable with, that we could put in front of an audience, and we performed it. Yeah, so that was quite unique. And as you said, there's a different relationship between the, the participants and the audience and the, yeah. but it's the, vo the voices of people. And again, again, how knowing what i know about if 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 someone on any given day could not be capable of coming to a workshop obviously that can always happen in a performance so it's it is there's another challenge that can you be sure you've created a piece of work that's why you have to work so collaboratively and and again, this is another thing about having scripts and having very strong kind of storylines and, um, you know, whereas when you're creating more kind of um, vignettes and um, I'm, I'm hesitating to say sketches because they're not really sketches, but you're working in a completely different way. If you're if you're doing um, a series of monologues and people are and you kind of intercut, you can always if somebody can't is not capable on that day of being there there's always flexible structures that you need to build into performance that you can you can work with. But um, if you're doing a play, um, you can't. So yeah, it's 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 challenging, particularly if you want if you want performance to be part of yours. I guess these days I would have been more comfortable to do more performance stuff because you'd be we're so used to streaming performance stuff so maybe you could create something a bit different these days and and then that would mean you could people could all film their sections on days that they are feeling able to do it it sounds like the form is serving so the art is serving the the performers or yes. the, the participants it's, yeah and not the other way around challenging yeah you can't you just you just can't demand that of somebody who some days just getting out of bed and getting into the shower is an achievement. You can't, you can't ask them to fit in to traditional um, performance. I'm just going to shut my blind. This happens as the sun comes in. <laughs>
yeah <laughs> when I look back on it it was I suppose we were ambitious in some ways but looking at it, it feels like a gentle project but I guess we were ambitious because we did but the group wanted to perform um, as well you know it wasn't me saying you have to perform and nobody was ever under any pressure to perform you could come to all the workshops and be part of development and never never go in front of an audience but actually people did want to perform but you also had some quite strong characters um, and and again you know having personal experience of mental health I also see that um, you need you need a lot of focus on yourself because just managing to cope on a day-to-day -day basis you're so aware of your mood and what's going on so you're, you spend a lot of time quite being quite introspective because you're you're trying to you're trying to um, do whatever you need to do when everything in your inside of you is saying they don't want to do it they don't want to get up they don't want to talk to people don't want to so you you're fighting this inner battle a lot of the time when you've got um, mental health ill mental health whether it's temporary whether it's an enduring condition so um, then to have to work collaboratively can be challenging with some very strong characters who you know uh, we had we had one who was very very um, caught up in everything she wanted to do she wanted to include some element of how you're stigmatized in terms of um, having any kind of sexual relationship if you're if you've got a mental health condition and she and and then you're you know trying to manage that expectation when people are all coming in this this is what I want our work to be about and you're trying to work collaboratively um, it it's it's challenging and do you have an example of when that's run smoothly or there's been or, or not <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think almost every week <laughs> there were there were we had to navigate some of that um, of having to allow people the space because again you know I'm not in the business of tearing of burning books and telling people that, that they shouldn't be um, they shouldn't be uh, telling people what's appropriate and not appropriate, you know, in terms of art, in terms of creativity. Um, but also being aware that uh, giving people space, you have to manage that as well to say, you know, this is a space where you can talk about these things. That doesn't mean to say that for where we're going to go and where we're going to perform, that's going to end up in our, our performance in the end. But maybe some some form of it some semblance of that will end up in it but it's not your this is not your platform um just to to go and uh, and and talk about everything you want to talk about politically i mean this person who was we had a couple of very strong characters this person i'm thinking in particular she wrote also wrote poetry and she was part of the writing group and i said you know i feel to a certain extent that's where you can express yourself but but drama is much more about the collaboration about us all putting in these ideas and seeing what sticks together and how that makes something that that all works together um so you can have this brilliant idea that's running alongside but it just doesn't fit this but don't get rid of the idea it just doesn't fit in in what we're doing here and um, you need another another way to express that um mm -hmm. so yeah, I think there was always, there's always compromise. And, and um, as I know one person, he, he, he definitely wanted to work with scripts and he, but on the other hand, he, I think he viewed it as his social club as well, because he was one of the ones that would always turn up late and 
bring him you know, his breakfast with him and have a lot of a lack of awareness of his impact of his behavior on other people. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it sounds like it was all challenging. And I have to say, I, I don't mean it to sound like that because it was challenging, it was challenging, but in a really good way. Um, I really enjoyed it. We really laughed a lot and we really, it was, it was great experiences. Otherwise I wouldn't have continued doing it for so long. Um, I think for me, probably eventually that it, it was that thing about also needing some time to examine my own practice and think about, um, think about how, yeah, how difficult it is to use, to use theatre performance as a medium for people to express themselves. It's really, it's really challenging. And at that time when you were involved, what, what impact did it have on your own mental health, being involved in mental health and the arts in this way? Um, in terms of knowledge, it was huge. It was a, a huge learning curve. I mean, that's also partly about me as well, that I'm the sort of person that if I'm involved in something, I need to go away and research it and find out more so I feel prepared. Um, so that it was it was humbling. It was um, just just seeing people's daily struggles, understanding it. I think it helped me it challenged me perhaps with some of my own preconceptions I didn't even realize I had until I was faced with um, situations and I thought I, I kind of must have picked up some of these prejudices and preconceptions that were, that were deep inside me that I didn't realize were there so it challenged me and um, uh, there were times it exhausted me <laughs> um, yeah constantly uh, wanting to do the right thing by people um, I, I, the project I work in at the Conservatoire now is working with young people who live in um, an SIMD1 area, so Scottish Units Multiple, Multiple Deprivation 1, who want to access um, study at the arts, so it's a fully funded training programme. And I'm very wary, um, a lot of young people, once they go into, get into the Conservatoire and then they graduate and they're doing really well, want to keep paying back, and I'm very wary of that. Um, and I think part of my experiences with, with PMA probably have done that as well about um, how, where, is, where is the line where you're not exploiting people um, who, who have got a lived experience and you're, you're almost making them feel like it's your responsibility to get out there and perform something to educate people, to um, tell your story and, and walk in that fine line between it's the individual's creativity and it's what they want to do. And it's, it's then facilitating them rather than exploiting them to, to be the face. You know, we've got, um, we've got one, one person who's, who's, um, who's studying in London, who's, who's plays the flute. He's just gone to his masters and he did so well as a student and he has done interviews and and um he's done a piece of film and i said to him when do you think you can stop paying back you don't have to do all this you know you don't have to be the face of um someone who's done good because they've come from a uh, um, socially economically socially deprived area um and i think i felt a bit like this not not from pma's perspective not at all not from the mental health arts and film festival just with myself just looking at this and and, and kind of trying to reconcile myself with this and um and what i felt 
should be put in front of public and what's self-indulgent and um and not right to be in front of the public uh, and i'm not saying i've got any answers but i think i probably did come to a point where i needed to re-examine that again um you see this a lot I work with a lot of care experience people and sometimes I feel dead uncomfortable with some of the stuff that's made with care experienced young people who are eager to tell their story because it needs to be told. But I also have this other side of my thing that kind of says, but it's not your job to do this. It's, um, yeah. Is the narrative changing? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's, and I think it's something we always need to examine and I don't know what the answer is. I mean, certainly with, with us, we've moved to the almost the opposite of what I'm talking about with PMA, where we have been doing um, interviews with young people that are transcribed and then doing pieces of verbatim theatre with, with young actors in training. So, so it's the, the words of the person, but the person on screen is, is a trainee actor rather than, um, rather than a, a young person with that lived experience. And, and I'm not saying that's absolutely right, the right way to go, but, I think, yeah, and I think I was also, I was getting to that point with, with them, from my perspective, as I say, nothing to do with PMA, they were always, it was always about the well-being of the individuals. Um, but I just think you just become so conflicted um, to a certain point in a way that you might not, if you're an artist and your intention, you've never got the intention of putting those, the people themselves in the public um, domain maybe you don't have those same conflicts. You probably yeah. have those of editing and deciding what's going to go in your piece of work and what isn't. But certainly for me, um, I, I think I was, that that was kind of going through my mind for my own practice and thinking, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? Yeah, as an arts and mental health practitioner, yeah. it's on your mind. Yeah. And almost like protecting people from themselves sometimes. You know, they want to go out there and 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 tell all you know tell their story all kind of intimate information about their lives and um especially if someone if someone does have a mental health condition that you sort of think you know you you could do this and then next week you could totally regret this and then the impact that's going to have on your life um this sounds really deep and introspective but I just think these were some of the conflicts and some of the things that went through my brain probably at the time um and would you say the role of mental health practitioners has changed over time not in mental health and the arts practitioners in particular I think I think probably it has um when I when I was when I first finished training, I, and I, I, I think I had some vague idea maybe many years ago that I might become a drama therapist. Um, and then learning the difference, I, I would always actually say to people, if any new people join the group at PMA, this is not a therapy class. I'm not a trained therapist. I'm not a counsellor. And this, this isn't therapy, isn't drama therapy. And you don't hear so much about drama therapy anymore, do you? you? Don't hear a lot of talk about drama therapy, and I think it's because of the recognition that is a that's a different thing. It's a therapeutic process um, where you're going to use drama in, within that therapeutic process, and then um, arts arts and mental health is something totally different. I think 
I think there's probably, I could be wrong, more focus on the participation. So more opportunities for people to participate in um, activities um, from crafts through to, as I mentioned before, choirs and, um, and crafting and, and art. Um, there's more focus on that than there is on performance work. And maybe yeah. some of those, and we talked about some of this going into more mainstream. So maybe, which is which is good. You know, you you don't necessarily always need um, separate. Like this is a piece about mental health. This is a piece of theatre, and we happen to have one of the things within this uh, is around mental ill health. Um, so maybe that's a natural progression. So there's more focus on participation and less on making more kind of targeted message type maybe that's a good thing yeah that's interesting and i'm conscious of taking up your time as well today and um, was there anything um from your involvement because we only got to pma that you would like to talk about today um no, I think that's the only thing I would say is that um, I, I like the arts in general, um, I think the landscape is constantly changing. And if I was specifically involved in working in an area of mental health um, now with the arts, I probably would do things differently than I did then. Um, I... Yeah, I, I guess actually the fact that I'm even hesitating, I'm still conflicted about um, about the idea of creating performance with people who are struggling with mental health. Um, in terms of the, and this this is this is one of the challenges really is that um, I wouldn't I'm sure I wouldn't have this if it was music and and um, visual art and crafts in the same way I do with with them. Um, theatre performance and I don't know why that's different maybe it's something around the need to have performance persona so even if even if you're a stand-up comedian you have a persona that you put on stage that's not that's just one element of you and that has to be for, for anybody anybody who's doing any kind of um any kind of performance that even if they're not acting so in a contemporary performance um, you you do a lot of thinking about persona and how you create personas versions of yourself and I think it's tricky to get to that with somebody who's who's struggling with mental health sometimes that you're putting a performed version of yourself in front of people and maybe that's what makes the theatre element of it more tricky I think so it's not about it's not about standard of acting or standard of, of performance. It's about safety. It's about yeah. It's about how how somebody is able to create that version of themselves that should go in front of people. And as I say, that exploitation thing about trotting people out because you know you can say I'm not somebody really who wants to say well the ends justify the means. If you've got somebody and you want people to learn about schizophrenia, let's put somebody who's schizophrenic in front of people and get them to tell their story. You know, um, yeah, I guess I would approach the work differently today. Um, 
but then that's partly me and partly the changes in society in the last 15 years yeah and in the next what would you like to see happening um the relationship between mental health and the arts in the next five to ten years um well i guess like like all people in my situation i'd like to see it continue to grow <laughs> um and innovate and um and have have uh, opportunities for people and also you know when i was with ruth we did a lot of work while we were researching and trying to crack a little bit more um arts on prescription which is happening um uh, I, I went to quite a few sort of seminars and things about arts in medicine and how how the arts is used with doctors to help them cope in difficult situations when they're first learning about pathology and they go into um um what's post-mortems and stuff like this um so I, I kind of realised that there was a lot of areas I didn't even know that artists were working in. Um, so I, I guess to continue to make opportunities available for people, to continue to develop the practice where where people are looking at these things and are avoiding. I think I think it's better, but are avoiding the temptation of of um, it feels a bit voyeuristic, you know, um, that we're not that we, we're continuing to make sure we avoid this idea of almost like a circus where people can go and observe people other people i think finding artists are great at finding new ways and, and finding ways to to tell stories that don't put people under the microscope in that way so continue to develop the practice continuing to, to make that recognition that um as I say, I think it has it has changed. I think there will be doctors who will say, um, "What activities are you doing? Is there a community choir you could join? Is there as alongside exercise?" I think it's I think exercise has been has, has found it easier than the arts. So I think now that that is catching up. I'd like to continue to see that catching up. Um, yeah, and and you know, no matter how good medicine gets and medicine becomes and treatments become in this way. I think there always has to be a place where people, I think back to momentum now, we've come around to full circle, that my aim there was if someone went out of one of my sessions feeling worse than when they came in, I would have to really examine what I had done, even though there's only so much I'm in control of because it's what's happening in, in themselves on that day. But, but my job would be to be sensitive to that, what's happening in the room and to, to be able to tailor what I'm doing to make sure that people have gone out and and feel like that was an hour of my day that I've been able to, I don't know, discover new things about myself and um, and actually feel more confident in myself. I have, I'm a creative person. I have, I have thoughts of, I, I can express myself in whatever way that is. Even if I can't always say it, I can express myself in some way. So I think that's really important and I want to see that continue and grow. Okay. Thank you so much for um, sharing so much of your experience and being so generous with your time. Oh no, that's okay. Um, Thank you. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been quite nice looking back and thinking about it uh, again, which I haven't done for a while. So that's been quite nice. That's good to hear. And uh, some of the, the points you touched on uh, were really um, in-depth and really nuanced um, 
perspective that you shared. So um, sometimes people feel like they've gone on tangents and kept saying that, but don't don't feel that way at all because it it's all it all links then and it's all really um, powerful stuff. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an important piece of my of my artistic practice. Um, so I think it's uh, yeah. I I don't regret any of the time I spent doing that. It's um, been a really important part of my development as an artist. <laughs>